Come Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts and cleanse our thoughts that when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, he may find in us a mansion prepared for himself who lives and reigns with you and the Father, one God, world without end. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, brothers and sisters, we're just going to dive right into it because something very powerful happened here at Christ the Redeemer that deserves our attention. And it just so happens that it ties in directly with our gospel reading. Most of you know by now that Monday night I had a conversation on Facebook Live and also on YouTube with a good friend of mine named Henry Abuto. Ever since he can remember, Henry has known himself to be same-sex attracted. Nothing unusual happened to him growing up. He wasn't abused, he wasn't molested, there wasn't anything strange in that way. In his own words, Henry said that he just always knew that there was something different about him. Henry grew up in the church. His dad is an Anglican priest. His parents, his siblings are all friends of mine. Henry sang in the choir, he attended youth group, he went on mission trips. Henry had a very good experience growing up in the church. But most importantly, most importantly, Henry knew the word of God. Henry understood for himself the Christian faith. Henry knew for himself the morality the Bible teaches. And so as Henry grew into a man, he could see the conflict coming. He knew his sexual orientation didn't match the teaching of scripture. And so Henry had a very difficult choice to make and he knew it. As Henry himself said, was he going to live according to what he wanted for himself? Or would he align his life to the teaching of scripture on human sexuality no matter how difficult that may have been? And friends, I can tell you, I know how difficult it was for Henry because I'm his friend. I've known Henry now for 15 years and I know this was tearing him up inside. But more importantly, Henry knew that it was tearing him up inside and so Henry made his first decision. In college, he said he made the decision to come out. As he himself said, doing whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted whenever he wanted. And when he did, this is what Henry found. He found that on the outside, he seemed to be very happy with his decision. He was the life of the party. People loved him. On the outside, things looked pretty good for Henry. But as Henry also said, that's not what was happening on the inside. On the inside, Henry was troubled and in turmoil. On the inside, Henry grew increasingly desperate. But as best he could, Henry decided to keep the conflict to himself. For six years, Henry said, he continued to live out his same-sex attraction. Again, doing whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted, whenever he wanted. Those were his words. And the whole time, Henry said, he knew he knew he was living contrary to what the Bible teaches. He knew he was living contrary to God's highest and best for him. Again, Henry's words, not mine. But most importantly, Henry said this, he knew. Henry knew that God had not forgotten him, 
That's an important thing I want us to remember. Henry knew that God had not forgotten him. God had not abandoned him. God had not left him, and Henry knew that. He said the whole time he could hear a voice that was whispering to him. He knew that voice. Henry said it was the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, and the Holy Spirit would say to him, Henry, Henry, you know, you know that you're not living according to my word. And Henry said he would tell God in reply, yeah, but I'm going to do it anyway. And Henry knew, and he knew that he knew. Henry knew that he would have to resolve this conflict in his heart, and he described it as standing on a porch during a rainstorm. He said he felt like half of his body was under the porch and dry, and the other half of his body was outside of the porch and wet, and it left both halves of his body feeling uncomfortable and dissatisfied. And then Henry said this, Henry said one night, he's a singer, he's a musician, and he was asked to lead worship, to play his guitar and to sing for about 500 Christian people gathered in a room. And there he was singing and playing in a praise band during a church service, giving himself and all of the glory to God. And Henry said, in a completely unexpected moment, God showed up. Have you ever had that moment in your life when God showed up and you knew that it was God and then Henry said this God wrecked his heart God wrecked his heart and then Henry said God told him this and I love this God told him Henry this isn't about you you are a vessel. You are a channel. He said, I'm going to use you to tell a redemptive story about my grace and my nature. Now, friends, this is me talking to you. I can't possibly communicate to you the impact of that moment in Henry's life. I, I can't do that. Because the gospel isn't ultimately about words. The gospel is about an encounter with the living Christ. The gospel is about an encounter with the risen and living Christ. Like Paul on the road to Damascus and like billions and billions and billions throughout time and space who have come to know Jesus and Savior and Lord like each of us must have for ourselves to truly know, to truly know what the words grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and like actually mean, not according to the wicked ways the world tells us those words, but according to the merits and mercies of Jesus, who is the author of those words and the giver of those things to us. But what I can tell you is this, in light of God's love and in view of God's word, Henry made a second choice. Henry said at the age of 25, he gave himself freely and fully to the risen Christ. And Henry chose from that point forward to live a life of celibacy. And then Henry said this. He said, of course, the choice wasn't easy. Of course, the choice hasn't been pain-free. I can't imagine, Henry, 
his quiet moments, in his apartment by himself when he goes to bed. Henry said, God hasn't changed my sexual orientation, but what God did do was this. God changed the orientation of my heart and Jesus became Lord of my life, not my sexual orientation. That's what Henry said. And in that moment, Henry said, everything changed. Everything changed. In today's gospel, we read about a rich young ruler, a man who seemed to have it all put together on the outside. He had wealth, he had position, he had power, and the Bible says he had great possessions. And yet in spite of all of that, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, the Bible says. In fact, he doesn't just come to Jesus, this rich young ruler gets down on his knees before Jesus. His fine linens dirtied in the soil before our Lord. And then that rich young ruler asks Jesus the question of the ages. Good teacher, he says, what must I do to be saved? That's the question we all want to know. What must I do to be saved? Now, the interesting nuance to the story is this. There was a strand of theological thoughts among the Israelites that suggested that the wealthy were the ones who were blessed by God. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this question. Why did the religious leaders hate Jesus so much? Well, one reason they hated him so much is that he spent time with the outcasts, the lepers, the prostitutes, the demon-possessed, the sick. Jesus even hung out with dead people. Not to mention his closest followers were fishermen and tax collectors. And here's the thing we have to see because in a world full of people who are so confused about who Jesus is, we Christians have to speak with absolute clarity about how Jesus loves us. And the point is this, Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us where we are. He meets us where we are, but he does not leave us where we are. You see, when Jesus touches our lives, he changes us. The woman at the well was no longer ashamed that she had had five husbands. The sick were healed, the lepers were cured, the demon-possessed were delivered, and the dead were raised to life again. And that ragtag band of disciples... They went from being a bunch of cowards to the most courageous men you'll ever meet. Notice again Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, kneeling before Jesus, his knees grinding the fine linens into the dirt. Everything was becoming unraveled on the outside of this man because of the conflict that he was having on the inside. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him, and he said to him, my friends, have you ever sat down long enough to let Jesus look at you, to love you so that he can start to speak into your life? And Jesus says to him, you only lack one thing. Seems so easy, doesn't it? 
You only lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now I want to say this to you, beloved. If you think this story is about money, you have missed the point. If you think this story is about money, you have missed the point. This story is about obstacles. This story is about idols. This story is about blockages. This story is about bondages. And this story is asking us to get rid of anything and everything that comes between us and Jesus Christ. For the rich young ruler, his idol was his money. For Henry, his obstacle was his sexual identity. What is it for you? What is it for me? What is the thing or the things that we have made into idols in our lives? Is there anything that we have put between Jesus and ourselves? Maybe it's money, maybe it's sexual identity, maybe it's something else. In fact, I would wager this, if God is saying something to you right now, that's probably it. If God is calling something to your mind right now, that's what he wants to deal with. Like the rich young ruler, like Henry, Jesus wants to wreck it now so that it doesn't wreck us later. And the question is this, are we willing to come to him? Are we willing to kneel before him? Are we willing to ask him the question, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? A final interesting part of the story is this. This always gets me. In that moment, the rich young ruler walked away. Why? He wasn't ready. And so he wasn't willing. Then again, we don't know how his story ends, do we? What we do know is that this encounter, this event happened before the crucifixion. This meeting with Jesus happened before the resurrection. It happened before the fullness of the glory of God had been revealed. It happened before the fullness of his love had been made manifest at the cross. It happened before the great sacrifice that Jesus would make for the salvation of our souls. Now, let's play a little game that Melissa Smith loves to play with the kids. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what happened to that rich young ruler after the crucifixion. I wonder what became of that rich young ruler after the resurrection. I wonder how those events impacted him, how they affected him, how they changed them. And I can tell you this, these are the only things that can make a difference and they are the only things that will make a difference. Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection is the only thing that can save us from our sin and the stronghold of death. Only when we come to grips with the great sacrifice that Jesus has made for us and for our salvation, only then are we able to see things as they really are and see ourselves as he sees us. And then the things that we give up, as difficult as they may be, they actually pale in comparison to the things that we gain.
We talked about this in the Bible study this morning. People have this weird image of going to heaven and you just sit on a cloud with a harp and your wings. Oh my gosh, I'm so bored for all of eternity. No, no. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly and have it eternally. So there's this well-known quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. I've used it before, I'll use it again. He said, Christ says, give me all. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self, all of the desires that you think are innocent, as well as the ones that you think are wicked. Give me the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self. I mean, amen. Like, I'm ready for the new self. I don't know about you. I will give you a new self. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. Can you imagine that? God's infinite abundance, everything that he has to offer when we give him ourselves, his stuff becomes our stuff because he becomes ours as we become his. It's, it's a ridiculous idea, and yet it's true. And I love the thought of it because I ain't getting any younger. Even though that sounds weird to a couple of y'all who are a little more seasoned than I am, it's still true. So last thought, what does all of this have to do with stewardship? It instructs us and it reminds us, and I want you to hear this clearly, it instructs us and it reminds us that first and foremost and above all else, we are stewards of the gospel we are stewards of the gospel. God has given us this gift of salvation. What else could we possibly ask for? And the question is this, what will we do with it? Will we, like the rich young ruler in this encounter, walk away from it? Leaving it behind, as the scripture says, in a state of sorrow because we're too tied to what we want and what we desire? Or like my friend Henry, will we run to it? Trusting that if God has called us to it, he will see us through it. Because you see, my friends, at the end of the day, this is what it looks like. Whether we have accumulated all of the money in the world or find ourselves at the bottom of the economic ladder, whether Christ the Redeemer has a million-dollar budget or no money at all, and that's not what I'm advocating for, what matters is Jesus. What matters is Jesus and his message of salvation. Who do we say that he is? How then shall we live? And in a final word from Henry's story, I'll leave you with this. Henry said when he was 16 years old, he was struggling pretty darn hard. I mean, you, you can imagine, right? He's coming through puberty, He's figuring out about social relationships. He's figuring out about dating relationships and he knows that there's something different about him. So what does he do? He goes to his mom and he turns to her for comfort and for counsel and for advice. Now I know his mama. 
and she is a good and godly woman. And at once I am so struck by what she said and it's so exactly what she would say. She said, Henry, I can't save you. I can't save you. She said, you cling to the cross. You cling to the cross because the cross is your only hope of salvation. And that's exactly what Henry's done. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.